Every day, we rely on food, fuel, and fiber. But how much do you know about these industries we depend on? In this podcast, we dive deep into the production and processes of these everyday essentials. This is Field Points, an original podcast production from Siri Solutions. Welcome back to Field Points. I'm your host, Morgan Seiger. This is the second episode of our fifth series, and this series is focused on the agronomics behind dairy nutrition. In this episode, we will be continuing our conversation with my co-host, Alan Pung, and our guest, Lita Larson from Cropland. As we work through this conversation today, Lita is going to break down for us the difference between traits and genetics and how those both play a significant role in high-quality, high-yielding haylage. If you listened to our first episode, you know that Lita's master's project focused on early seedling diseases in alfalfa. So throughout this episode, we really get into her wheelhouse and she does a great job explaining not only what these seedling diseases are, but how you can combat and manage them and how genetics and traits play a role in that process. So let's dive right in. I would say that the switch to Roundup Ready as well as Harvextra is kind of happening right now. Um, I would say that a lot of our conventional acreage has shifted to Harvextra in the past two years, would you say, Al? Even this last year, yeah. Um, a lot of the dairy farmers are focused on quality, and they really understand that, yes, we have to have high-quality high haylage if we want to have a cow that's going to reach their full potential and, and milk well. And with soybean meal prices the way they are, canola prices the way they are, they want to have high-quality haylage, right? And if they can utilize the Harvextra trait, harvest it at 28 days, see 20% higher quality, they're going to do it. And then obviously Harvextra is coupled with that Roundup Ready trait, which makes weed control easier, right? We're not going to see a ding from that Roundup Ready trait like we would using conventional herbicides. I don't know if I could throw a percentage out there, but there's there, definitely been a shift in the last few years to Harvextra and Roundup Ready. There's definitely differences in areas too. Yes. I mean, some areas yes. are high adoption of Roundup Ready, whereas some areas very little, almost all conventional alfalfa yet. I would say overall in our area, I would say 50%, maybe even mm -hmm. as high as two thirds now is Roundup Ready alfalfa. Mm -hmm. And there was a, there's a common misconception still that I run into that Roundup Ready or Harvextra is lower yielding. And we really don't see that anymore. Early on, it definitely was, right? As you introduce a new trait, it's it's going to be a little, little lower yielding. But now with our Megatron AA Harvextra and our Roundup Ready, um, our Afatron AA product, with the Harvextra, I think our Megatron AA is generation four now. Um, and so we really don't see that it's lower yielding. It actually is right right with their or beats our conventional products. And so I think that's a common misconception that I've run into quite a bit is guys think, oh, you know, those, the traded alfalfa doesn't yield, it doesn't yield. It's not really the case, right? And if you can go and you can clean weeds up early, get rid of that competition, then you have a stronger seedling right out of the gate. It's probably going to be higher yielding than something that wasn't strong from the get-go, right? So being able to control weeds early has will definitely give you a yield advantage. Um, and then just that quality aspect of the Harvextra, that's, that's been a a win-win for most growers that have been using the the latest generations of our harv extras. I think Lita's comment about quality is quality is really driving it because there's mm -hmm. there's two traits, right? You got you got the harv extra trait and then the Roundup Ready trait. Well, for a grower now looking at 
Harvextra, which is driving that quality decision, there's not a lot of price difference anymore. It used to be it was, you know, you had Roundup Ready, and then you had, because of the way the traits are stacked, Harvextra was Roundup Ready. It was a big jump for somebody pricing if they were planning conventional. Well, now there's not a lot of difference in pricing between Roundup Ready and to go all the way to Harvextra Roundup Ready. So quality issues driving that Harvextra decision, and it, and then you just, oh, and it just happens to be Roundup Ready too. So we can manage it a lot differently, and it's just easier to keep it. And there again, you're driving the quality because it's so much easier to keep the alfalfa weed free. It's just mm-hmm. pure alfalfa. Yeah. It's very simple, but it works really well. Yeah. And it's farmer word of mouth that has driven a lot of that too, right? There's a lot of growers that might have trialed it and started it and said, oh, wow, you know, my quality is a lot better when I cut it at every 28 days. Or if I'm delayed a week, I know I'm not going to take a ding on my quality. It's still going to be the exact same that a conventional would be at 28 days. Plus, I get an advantage in yield, right? Because alfalfa actually grows an inch a day. That translates to 125 pounds of dry matter. So you get all that if you were to extend that harvest window. So they actually have to live it and see it, I think. And then as as more growers communicate and talk to each other and talk about the benefits that they've seen, I'd say that that's really what's been driving it. Honestly, you know, it, it depends on the operation on who how they use Harvextra, but a lot of the growers, when they're transitioning from conventional to Harvextra, they use it as an insurance policy, right? They'll cut those fields last, or if they get rain, they know they're not completely out of luck, right, if they're um, over that, that 28 days. So just depends on, on the operation and on, on if they cut it every 28 days or if they're driving it for yield and they'll extend it to 35 or, or whatever they end up doing. So Maybe it'd be good to explain exactly what... Yes, we should clarify. because So Harvextra is a trait. And so it's not a variety. It's a trait that's inserted into a variety. And so it would be like a smart stacks is to corn, right? It's a trait that's actually inserted into an alfalfa variety. And so uh, what Harvextra is, is it's a trait that allows for lower lignin alfalfa. So what that means is because that plant has lower lignin, it's going to start at higher quality. So uh, we see that alfalfa that is that contains that Harvextra trait has around 20 percent higher quality as compared to those that don't have the lower lignin trait. So if you were to harvest at every 28 days, you would see around 20% higher quality, particularly better digestibility, so higher NDFD and higher RFQ. Not necessarily higher RFV because the RFV doesn't take the NDFD portion into that equation. And so we look at NDFD and RFQ when we're evaluating Harvextra um, quality. And so you start higher, so you automatically start at 20 to 25% higher quality with Harvextra. So if you harvest it every 28 days, you're aiming for higher quality alfalfa. If you were to stretch that out to 7 to 10 days, we know that you're then going to see higher yield in that alfalfa, right? Because you're leaving it grow for another week. But then that quality is, it's going to go down, but it's going to be where a conventional would be at 28 days. And so you're not going to see basically a a quality loss in that if you were to let that go an extra week to 10 days, it's just going to be wherever a conventional would be at 28. And so that really allows for a lot of flexibility, right? Because you can continue to harvest every 28 days like you would a conventional alfalfa plant uh, just to aim for higher quality hay, right? Which a lot of dairy farmers are doing. That's probably the most popular 
popular, I would say, among my farmers if they're 100% Harvextra. And then if you were to um, be transitioning to Harvextra from conventional, so you've got fields that are both Harvextra and conventional, uh, you can just have higher quality hay if you're harvesting it every 28 days into that pile, right? There's just a better quality in that because you're harvesting that Harvextra at every 28 days still. And then um, the other option is just extending that yield potential, right? So because Harvextra does start higher, it's going to be, if you were to extend that an extra seven to 10 days, it's going to be around 20 to 25% higher yielding um, than you would have cutting it every 28 days and the same quality that you would have um, with a conventional cutting it every 28 days. So for those guys that want a little higher yield, um, maybe, you know, willing to have the same quality that they would with a conventional at 28 days, it's a win-win there. Lots of flexibility and lots of options. And then of course, like we mentioned earlier, you have the Roundup Ready trait um, in there as well. So all Harv Extra is also Roundup Ready. The lower lignin content in the plant could make a difference in what you see out in the field. Lita walks us through what to expect. Yeah, so the standability of the plant is not influenced. So yes, it sounds like it might be, right? You're like lower lignin, oh no, it's all going to fall down. That's actually not the case. Um, There's been a lot of studies with Forage Genetics International. So FGI is owned by Land O'Lakes. So they are the alfalfa breeding company for cropland because cropland is also owned by Land O'Lakes, right? So FGI um, was the, the company that invested the Harvextra trait. And so they did years and years of studies before they even released the trait onto the market. And it showed that standability was not at all influenced um, by the trait. However, as you leave that plant in the field, right? So if we're getting into 35, 36, 37 days cutting window instead of every 28, you do risk um, that plant getting taller, right? So you might get above 28 inches, above 29 inches, 30. Once we get above 28 to 30 inches, we do risk that plant going down and lodging from either rain or wind or whatever it might be. And so I think that was a common misconception early on that Harvextra varieties don't stand. Well, it's probably because they were into that 36, 37 day cutting window and those plants just got too tall, right? They might've had plenty of rain, what growing conditions might've been just perfect and they just got too tall and fell down. Uh, so it's important to remember that even if you want to extend your cutting window with Harvextra, that you're still keeping track of the height of that and you're cutting inside of 30 inches. With conventional, would you see lodging at that height? Or no? Yes. Yep. Okay. You would see, you would see lodging in any type of alfalfa at around 30 inches or even 28 to, to 30 is typically the rule. So if you get above that, that's when things get scary and that's so we can we can see some severe lodging. Now, I don't have much hands-on experience with alfalfa, but I do remember being taught that you want to harvest when you start seeing blooms or that you at least didn't want the whole field to bloom because your quality would go down. Lita walks us through what this can look like with Harv Extra in regards to those extended harvest schedules that she was mentioning. So Harv Extra wouldn't wouldn't impact flowering at all. Um, it would flower like a normal conventional would. Uh, if you extend your harvest window, right, if you cut into 35 days, you might see those plants flowering. Oh no, I'm too late, right? But my quality is going to go down. It's not the case with Harv Extra. So it might flower and you might think that you're going to, um, you know, have a ding in quality there. Obviously that quality is going to go down some, but it's not going to be where a conventional would be at that same day, right? Because it starts higher and it ends higher. So if you're out to 35 days with Harv Extra, your quality is still going to be at or above what a 28-day conventional would be at. 
so the Harvax and the Roundup Ready, that's the, that's the trait. And so there's genetics that obviously have to go into that trait as well, right? So it's the genetics that would drive the yield potential, uh, the winter hardiness, or the stand persis- persistence of that too. So Now we're going to dive deep into the advanced genetics that Lita is talking about. We're specifically going to spend some time talking through AA alfalfa varieties. So our AA genetics, so the AA stands for um, awesome alfalfa. No, I'm kidding. That sounds about right. We joke that that's what it means, Uh, but it actually stands for two different diseases. So it stands for aphanomyces and anthracnose. And so aphanomyces is a severe root disease, and it can infect seedlings as well as mature stands. And then anthracnose is a stem and crown disease that typically infects later on in an alfalfa plant's life. Uh, So aphanomyces was actually the main, one of the main diseases that I focused on in my master's. Um, And so I get get really excited when I talk about it. So I'm probably (laughs) going to say more than I even need to. Um, But aphanomyces, like I said, causes a severe root rot in seedlings as well as mature stands. And we typically see aphanomyces infect as the soils start to warm in the spring. So think like May and June. It's typically when aphanomyces would infect a lot of those seedlings. And what it does is it actually stunts growth. And so your seedlings might come up, they might look great. They might be off to a great start. And then all of a sudden that growth is just stunted. Um, The plants might exhibit symptoms of nitrogen deficiency. It might look like herbicide carryover. It might look like a fertilizer issue, but it could potentially be a phanomyces. So we typically see a phanomyces infect in really wet soil conditions. And so if you think back to the spring of 2019, it was a really wet year pretty much across the entire Midwest, even out east where I was in New York at the time. And we saw a lot of seedling failures due to a phanomyces infection. And what it does is it basically just stunts that alfalfa root and then eventually those roots are going to appear gray and water soaked and then eventually just turn brown and collapse and die, right? And those plants that do survive do fight off that pathogen. Those roots really aren't going to be very healthy, right? And so when I explain aphanomyces to a lot of my dairy producers, I compare the seedlings to a baby calf. Say a baby calf gets infected with salmonella or pneumonia, gets sick right away as a calf. She's probably never going to milk as good as she could have had she had a healthy start. The same thing goes for alfalfa. So if that alfalfa is infected with aphanomyces early on in its life, probably never going to yield as high, last as long as it could have had it had a healthy start. And so aphanomyces really infects um, early on, and then it can also infect um, in in mature stands in in wet fall conditions. Um, And so that can obviously just chew away at those roots and make a plant that's that's a little slower to regrow, so a little lower yielding, and then obviously not healthy, so not able to uptake water and nutrients from the soil and survive year after year, right? So you might see a decrease in stand longevity and stand persistence because of that. With the AA varieties, now we actually have high resistance plus to aphanomyces all races. This probably isn't well explained in our industry, but there is actually a variety review board out there that rates all varieties based on their level of resistance to various diseases. And so high resistance plus is basically like the gold standard that's as high as you can get in resistance to all these pathogens. And so there's there's a moving scale. So zero to five percent resistance is considered susceptible. And then from six all the way to 50, there's a moving scale of resistance from low resistance to moderate resistance, resistance, and then high resistance. So a plant that's highly resistant to a certain disease is considered greater than 50% resistant to that. When I first learned that, I was like, well, what about the other 50, right? There's still a big swing from 50 to 100. Like this doesn't make sense, right? So there's a lot of varieties out there that can actually be high 
highly resistant to a pathogen, but it might only be 51% resistant to a pathogen, such as a phantomyces. But in our AA varieties, we actually see that they're 70, 75, almost 80% resistant to that particular pathogen. And so that gives them that HR plus. So when you're evaluating a lot of varieties on paper, they might look the same. They might both be HR to a phantomyces. Well, one might only be 51 and one might be 80% resistant, right? So it's really it's really confusing to growers. And I wish there was another scale. And that's why, you know, we gave the AA varieties the HR plus rating because they're a lot higher than just that 50%. Um, so I always like to explain that. Like I said, I don't think it's well explained in the industry what the different disease scales are. Obviously, I was exposed to a lot of that just in my, my research alone um, with the University of Minnesota. But then on the flip side of a phantomyces, like I I said we also have this disease called anthracnose and so anthracnose typically infects immature stands it can cause a foliar disease as well as a severe crown rot and what anthracnose does is in wet conditions in the late summer it will actually cause these diamond shaped lesions on the stems and eventually if that's severe enough they can form a girdle on the stem and basically we see this thing called shepherd's hook um, and what happens is that that stem is basically dead right so we're going to lose leaves from that and we're going to lose stems from that and that can equate to a yield loss of around 25 to even 30 uh, percent. So that's that's a pretty large yield loss. In the AA varieties, we have uh, resistance to all the races, including the newest race identified called race five. Um, and that was actually, um, that's specific to just FGI varieties. And so there's, there's no other varieties on the market besides those coming out of FGI that have that resistance to that race five. That's what the AA genetics entails. So there's other diseases in alfalfa um, that are pretty major. A couple are Pythium and Phytophthora that I had mentioned earlier that we typically see in the cold soils in the early spring. We had done a lot of work um, at the University of Minnesota with Pythium and Phytophthora, and, and with both of those in particular, we do rely on, well, for Pythium, we rely on our apron XL fungicide seed treatment. And so that would be in our grow zone 34% coating on our seed. Um, and the apron XL basically allows for control of that Pythium early on because what Pythium can cause is a seed rot in the soil. So that seed will actually not germinate and then also a damping off. So where that seed will germinate, but then eventually wilt away and die. The seed doesn't germinate from the soil or if it, if it dies, we're obviously not going to have a, a stand that can last a long Long time, right? It didn't even live. So that's obviously going to result in a replant. And so a lot of that can be prevented um, by just planting a little bit later in the spring when the soils are warmer, but also using a fungicide seed coat to protect. And then we've also got high resistance to Phytophthora in those AA varieties as well. So Phytophthora root rot, um, that, that's a severe root rot that's been around. It was one of the first uh, diseases identified in alfalfa. So across the market, there is fairly good control of Phytophthora in most varieties today. That was probably a lot on diseases. <laughs> I kind of geek that's out perfect. about that stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's a big deal, right? Um, yeah. I don't think it... Like I said, I don't think the different disease ratings and all of those details have been communicated well enough in the industry. There's still farmers, you know, I, I go to and I'm, I'm teaching them about aphanomyces and anthracnose and they're like, slow down, I can't even say that, you know, and it's like, well, you don't necessarily need to even remember all the details, you know, just know that they're out there and, and know that they can cause a severe threat. And so really when we're controlling a lot of those diseases too, the number one method of control is variety selection because with aphanomyces as well as 
Pythium and Phytophthora. Those three are a type of pathogen that are really hard to control by use of crop rotation. So they're called oomycete pathogens. And so they can last in the soil. <laughs> they can last in the soil anywhere from 10 to 20, maybe even 30 years, even without the presence of a host crop. And then on the flip side of that, so if you have your disease triangle, right, all three corners of the triangle have to be met. So you have to have the pathogen. So like I said, they can last in the soil for a really long time. And on the other side of the triangle, there's there's that ideal environment, right? So in that case, it'd be a wet soil is when those oomycete pathogens would infect. So phantomyces, pythium, phytophthora, can't control the weather, right? We can't always control how much rain we're going to get. Obviously, we can try to not plant alfalfa in our really heavy fields if you have that luxury, if you've got, you know, a lot of different types of soils that you farm. A lot of farmers don't. Uh, And then the other piece is if you plant a resistant or susceptible host. So that's the other piece of that triangle. So if you plant a susceptible host and all three of those factors are met, you then invite that pathogen into the, the alfalfa plant to infect it. But if you plant a resistant host, you eliminate that piece of the triangle. So then the disease can't infect. So it really is the number one method of control with those three is just variety selection. It just comes down to the the seed selection piece. Lita shared that many of the varieties coming from the cropland lineup will have this AA disease package moving forward because they have put such a strong focus on disease prevention in their alfalfa varieties. Next, we're going to talk about cost breakdown of these traits and genetics. It's a little different mindset than the corn and soybean farmers where the crop is in and out in one year. I feel like depending on how you farm, you justify those input costs differently. Lita walks us through what this looks like with alfalfa. Well, so actually, that's really funny that you mentioned that because I gave a presentation in Minnesota back in November on the AA varieties and all these diseases and all that and how variety selection is huge and what the AA varieties can do. And I presented all the yield data, you know, and we see a 20% increase with our AA varieties as compared to the checks and the other competitors, right? So I'm just really focused on all that and I didn't get into pricing at all. And so someone came up to me after and they're like, so these AA varieties, they sound great and it makes sense, yada, yada. The the roots look healthy. You know, we've got these these great disease resistance genetics, but it sounds super expensive. <laughs> He's like, how expensive is it? You know, and I'm like, wow, that's a good point. We don't do a good enough job. And Al, you can probably add here because we price everything through series, but the cost is very comparative to other varieties on the market with the AA. Right. So. I mean, yeah, it, it's uh, very competitive compared to some other brands that are out mm-hmm. there that, that are not bringing any of these technologies. Uh, they are not, I would say they're, they're more competitive than what probably a lot of growers would think would as realize. far as pricing. That, that technology is available to a lot of folks. It's, it's well within your reach. Yep. Yep. And then, of course, too, if you have a healthier root, that's going to be able to uptake more water and nutrients from the soil, maybe get another year or two out of that stand just a greater ROI overall, right? Because you get more yield out of that if it's healthier, plus greater stand longevity in the long run. And I I think with the Harv Extra trait, right now everybody is, like Lita said, everybody, the consensus seems to be to cut your normal schedule and just put up high quality, great feed. I think it'll be interesting as we get some folks, because the other end of that is you may want to let it, you may want to have somebody that goes for big yield let it grow that extra week, and the quality is still going to be equal to what you would have had conventional. Maybe you only mm-hmm. cut those fields three times a year mm-hmm. instead of four or five. And I think 
without pushing it so hard. I, maybe we'll get another year out of the, that alfalfa, too. I mean, yeah. I think they've done some research on that, and it kind of looks like it's going to go that way. Yep. But yep. so far right now, most of the growers I know that are planting it, they're they're going for you know what I'd call rocket fuel. They want the best quality feed they can put up because, like Lita said, feed prices are driving some of that. Feed costs are high right now, and I think the goal of most dairymen is I want to grow, grow it. everything yeah. on my farm I possibly can. The more feed, the more forage I grow on my farm is the less, the less stuff I have to buy. It saves money. As we wrap up this conversation, Lita and Alan share some information about where they are getting their genetics from and the relationship that forage genetics and cropland alfalfa have with Land Lakes and the cooperative system. I don't think a lot of times we do a very good job. When I say we, I mean as the cooperative system series talking about what FGI exactly yeah, does means. for, I mean, and I appreciate everything Lita's done for us because I think that's one of the things that really has helped I mean, obviously, all the things she's doing directly, but I think indirectly, it's given our salespeople a lot of confidence. When they walk on the farm and talk cropland alfalfa, they don't take a backseat to anybody. Yeah. FGI is the world's leader in breeding alfalfa. Nobody else does, even compares mm-hmm. to how many, what germplasm they have mm-hmm. and what percent of the alfalfa we're selling today. And as a cooperative system, just like, I mean, you think about it, who can tie that all together better than us is, is being a cooperative mm-hmm. I mean, Land O'Lakes, they have FGI, obviously we're in the feed business, and they got started by dairy Dairy farmers. Yeah. It's like... And we're still owned by dairy farmers. We need to do a better job of talking about that because you still walk on... I bet there's farms we walk on yet today. When you talk about cropland alfalfa, they look at you like, who? Yeah. Randy... They don't don't really. Seriously, they don't. And that's shame on us for not doing a better job of talking about it and promoting it, I guess. Yeah. Our national alfalfa agronomist, Randy Welch, was up in Michigan last week, and... We were sitting down for dinner and he leaned over and he's like, hey, should I talk about more that cropland is owned by Land O'Lakes? Do producers in Michigan know that? And I'm like, no, they don't know. You know, that's where I've started almost. You know, when we when I first get onto farms, I just like to talk about the history and the brand and who we're owned by and that, yes, we are owned by dairy farmers, you know, and they respect that. They they like that. They like that we don't just report to some someone in, in some corporation. We, we report to a board of directors that also farm across the country. So it's really neat. It's what ultimately led me to Land O'Lakes. You know, I, I obviously having the dairy background that I have and growing up on a farm, that was a huge deal for me being, being a co-op still and being farmer owned. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Field Points. And thank you again to my co-host, Alan, and our guest, Lita, for joining us and sharing so much valuable information about genetics, traits, and seedling diseases. In our next episode, we are going to continue our conversation and we're going to look closely at managing alfalfa, specifically in season. And we're also going to be including how precision egg plays a significant role in proper management of alfalfa. These episodes would not be possible without our partnerships with companies like Cropland. Want more out of your seed purchase? Consider Cropland Seed. Cropland brings you high-end genetics and the latest traits, all backed by answer plot data and season-long agronomic expertise you can't get from a typical seed dealer. That's because you can only get Cropland from leading crop input retailers like Series Solutions that know how to maximize the performance of every variety or hybrid. When it comes to high-yielding seed, your ROI doesn't depend on one decision. It depends on every decision. Talk to your local Series Solutions representative to get more out of every acre with Cropland Seed. 
The show notes for this episode will be available at series.coop. That's C-E-R-E-S dot C-O-O-P. If you enjoyed this deeper dive, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Your review and feedback will help other listeners like you find our podcast, and we are so thankful for that.